Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table, a healthcare podcast that discusses various aspects of a career, including career development for healthcare clinicians, non-clinical career options, and how we can fight burnout. My name is Mike Gazbeck, and I'm joined by my co-host, John McDonald. John, how are you? I'm doing swell. It's a great rainy day out there in Rochester and Buffalo. So I'm in my element, man. How about you? Well, I am not in my element in a rainy day, but I'll take your word for it. I am ready for spring. You know, For anyone that lives in the Northeast, I'm sure it's a similar experience where you have winter and winter lingers. And we don't really get that that like essential spring. There's no warm, sunny days. It's just rain, rain, rain. And then in Buffalo, at least, it'll flip over and all of a sudden become summer. Yeah. Well, I actually heard birds chirping this morning. So that's significant. That's something it, it in the really right direction. Is. Yeah. Uh, they must have known. Was it, okay. First of all, is it is spring the 20th or 21st? I, I think the 20th. Really? Mm-hmm. So we're into spring. Well, my kid told me it was, and I didn't believe him. So sorry. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> so today we've got a really exciting and interesting episode. We, we've we teased it a couple times in recent conversations that we wanted to circle back and talk about the importance of networking. So it, for those of you that may be joining us more recently, we did do an episode about a year ago now, John, on the importance and value of networking. And that was really more focused on value of networking in an aspirational manner to get to that next job. If you want to leave your clinic and go to a non-clinical career or something different, networking was one of the ways to get there. Today, I want to shift focus, still talk about networking, but really more so maybe within the lens of burnout, but also career development, how peer-to-peer networking can be very valuable and important, even if you're in your current job, if you're not looking to move or change, and just how connecting with others that may have various expertise can really benefit you as we try to reduce burnout, as we try to have more career fulfillment, but also just become better clinicians as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's when we're trying to find that next step, we just don't know where to go, which is why networking was important to begin with. But when you've maybe even found your path or you are currently functioning in that role, it's not only about getting to the next point, it's about what you don't know. Because you don't know what you don't know and surrounding yourself with the right people is going to elevate you. I think about when I was younger, people would say you only get better at ping pong by playing people who are better than you at ping pong. And it's going to be disappointing maybe for a little bit. And you maybe get some welts on your face or stomach, but you're going to learn quick and you're going to respond faster. So that's the way you build your skill is surrounding yourself with intelligent, uh, motivated, skill-oriented people. I love that analogy because I mean, anything exercise too, if you're running, you know, a very leisurely pace, every time you go for a jog, you're never going to get faster. Mm -hmm. So that's a great analogy. So let me, let me actually introduce kind of the concept of why I wanted to talk about this. So the way that I think about peer to peer networking, and I, I think everybody that's listening has probably experienced this to some degree is on Facebook and now on Reddit too. We, we have a lot of this. There's a lot of professional groups that are out there and they all have different flavors to them, right? I'm in a, a PA group that is called PA Professionals. So shout out to that group. And a lot of times that discussion ends up being more professional issues, contract negotiations, how do I deal with a toxic coworker, you know, whatever it may be. 
But then I'm also in a Facebook group that is PA clinical discussion. And that one is more clinically focused where people will say, hey, I've got a really tough case. I saw a patient with this going on. What do you think? And it's more of a collaborative peer-to-peer environment for clinical case. I think there's roles and there's important needs for both of those. But that's kind of what I'm thinking about in terms of our discussion today as peer-to-peer. We're not, not just going to LinkedIn and sharing CVs or sharing good articles, but rather how can we support each other, especially maybe harnessing the power of social media, but then also the power of technology mm-hmm. to enhance or improve those peer-to-peer connections. It, it is a completely different tone as well when you're having these discussions. Sometimes when you're trying to make that next step up, it, it might, some people can come off a little desperate if they're not careful. And it can, it can mess the relationship up really quick if you're just looking for something. Because people know when you're only fishing for something from them and you can't offer much. But once it's a peer-to-peer, colleagues are equal playing grounds in, in a way. You don't have maybe that desperation come through or that hope coming through. It's just we're, we're really trying to maximize our clinic or operational uh, benefits, what we're trying to offer as a service. I think it's a wonderful thing. And I'm not here to, to crap on people that go to Facebook groups and ask clinically related questions. Mm-hmm. But I think it can be a little bit perilous because... Once again, as we've all experienced, you know, you can have in PA and NP groups because there maybe is a little bit of tension with physicians. Very often you can have questions that are asked maybe from a new graduate or, you know, someone that has very limited experience. And then that question gets trashed or a screenshot of it is then shared on, you know, anti-AP, P groups. So it can be a little bit tough. I think Reddit is beneficial because it's more anonymous. So you do see maybe a little bit more free and open exchange. But the flip side to that is because it's anonymous, uh, it's maybe a little bit more nasty, a little bit more, you know, not as civil and professional. Mm -hmm. So I think there's positives and negatives to both. But in my opinion, social media has shown us that there's an incredible appetite for this peer-to-peer level of networking and maybe not yet a good solution to, to address this need in a way that really satisfies what we need in terms of career support. Yeah, let's get into it. Awesome. So let's talk about maybe some different types. I know we've kind of teased it a little bit just talking about Facebook and Reddit, but can you talk to me about maybe different types of peer-to-peer networking within healthcare? So I would say the first and foremost would be mentorship programs. Whether or not the companies offer this, I do have my own opinions about having a mentor within your same business structure or your same vertical supervisory roles. Because if you're going to involve yourself in a mentorship program that your work sponsors, yeah, it might make sense because it's the same company. However, there are things you cannot share. There are things that could impede your career progression if you're sharing it with a mentor who's also in your vertical. Can you pause pause and give an example of that? Because I think that's such a great point where mentorship is good, but it also maybe have limitations. So can you maybe think of an example for the audience of of something yeah. that you you maybe would be hesitant to share yeah. if your mentor is someone within the organization. Okay. Th- I think you brought up a point earlier. You said HR problems. Maybe you're having difficulty with a colleague, patient, coworker, somebody in your organization. If you're bringing this to your mentor and you lack maybe some basic understandings that you should have had ahead of time, or maybe you've, you're discussing a decision that you hadn't made 
that you wouldn't normally share with your employer that could show maybe your your capabilities being more stunted than they originally thought. You don't want to overshare things that you're trying to learn at the same time because if we're all honest, we're learning all everybody's learning. You've probably even heard the term before the um the saying everybody's faking it. Like everybody's faking it. Uh so if everybody's faking it, uh don't overshare things that you're trying to learn to your mentor. So I'll give you a very specific then. If you have an employee that you're having a difficult time dealing with and they're having maybe some healthcare needs or some family issues and you haven't followed HR protocol correctly, maybe you've had conversations or documented conversations where you actually should have sent them to EAP or to HR or some outside source, you've kind of become a liability for your company rather than an asset in that area because a lawsuit will take something down really quickly. So you could share something like that with your mentor and then make adjustments quickly and your practice will thrive. Those liabilities are gone, but your career progression might not be stunted because these people you're talking to will remember these things and might give pause for a future promotion or some other benefit in the company in the future. Yeah, I think that makes sense. If I went to, I consider our medical director is absolutely a mentor of mine. Mm -hmm. We keep shouting out Dr. Capote, but mm -hmm. and we certainly, we have great discussion about many different things. But at the same time, there's certainly some things within my career that I wouldn't necessarily go to him with. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm really annoyed or frustrated with something that's happening clinically. And if I went to him, it would be seen as just me griping as opposed to right. looking for guidance or mentorship. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, don't ever go to your superior, go to your mentor if there's mm -hmm. something going on internally. But certainly there may be some limitations. But I, yeah. I go ahead. But I did reality. I, I want to. All I wanted to really clean up is to say this is not a, a way to coach anybody into being deceptive about what your abilities are or aren't. It's uh, just having a comfortable atmosphere, which you can share the things that you might not even know is a problem. That instead of it becoming a an HR issue at your company, it becomes a learning opportunity for you with your mentor. So don't make it more complicated than it has to be. Keep keep the work stuff at work, keep the outside of work outside of work. We just have to find those bare, those boundary areas, I think. Absolutely. So I did derail you earlier. So I want to go back to the different types of peer-to-peer -peer networking. So thank you for giving the example on mentorship. I think that's helpful to kind of paint the picture of yeah. what we're talking about. But okay. talk to me a little bit about, uh, let's maybe talk about conferences. I see that you also have that listed as a source of peer-to-peer -peer mentorship on the show notes. Okay. So Conferences are a great opportunity for you to meet like-minded individuals who might not even be in your same region. So we idea sharing, right? Collaboration. There might even be studies that you can help each other with, participate in together, share ideas. Uh, success. Well, this morning, even being a part of some clinical decision making, there are times where you don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of. You might have very complicated cases maybe even a new drug that you've been trying out and you don't you don't see uh, maybe these ADRs, ADEs in the literature, you can discuss that with a colleague at these conferences and really start a long-term uh, collaborative friendship, really. But it's not necessarily just a mentor relationships we're looking for because that's not peer-to-peer, -peer, really. When we're talking peer-to-peer, -peer, we want ideas sharing between each other. We want to see what gaps in care we have. So conferences where we're already talking about what the cutting edges 
are in your specific area, those are the people who are excited about it, the ones attending the conferences. Of course, there are the ones who just want to get away from their kids and go have some good drinks and get lobster on the company. <laughs> but there are people who also go who just want to do, want to excel uh, for their patients and for their own benefit. So find those like-minded people, those ex people who are very excited about um, their industry. Uh, maybe do you have any? Maybe you have some points about going to conferences because yeah, let me. ID, it's going to be a little different. Let me give you an example because I actually just had a recent one. So I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and it was a just a one or two day weekend meeting, and it was for a drug that we they use here, and. It was a wonderful opportunity to have a lot of really great discussion with other clinicians that are also using this therapy, treating the same types of conditions as what we're doing. And I made a lot of great connections. I was able to talk to a couple people uh, regarding their clinical protocols and different ways that they're approaching things. And I learned a lot and I was able to take that information and then reassess our program internally to see if we wanted to also make those changes or implement the things that I learned from my peers. So even though the conference had formal presentations, there were some poster sessions, all very helpful. A lot of what I came away from the conference with was from peer-to-peer -peer conversations that occurred. And I think this is where COVID has made things so tough is so many conferences went virtual. Mm -hmm. So our ability to actually get in a room with our peers who are doing the same thing as us clinically was limited for years. Mm -hmm. And the virtual conferences are great. It, uh, it maybe makes learning more accessible. And I think making sure that we always have opportunities to learn in advance is a really good thing. But being back in person, being able to connect, being able to go to a dinner at the end of the conference and then mm -hmm. talk to the person next to you and find out that they're doing a different protocol from you. Mm -hmm. Those are all incredible opportunities for peer-to-peer -peer networking. So conferences are a really great place to do it. And I know a lot of people may not go to conferences. Maybe you don't get funding for it. Maybe mm -hmm. you don't see the value of it. But I, we've talked about it in past episodes. You and I are both big believers that that's really a great opportunity to kind of mingle and cross-pollinate ideas. Because it, it's not, I mean, when you go to these conferences, you might not come away with actionable items though, right? You, you might have just met some people. And coming out of COVID, even if we're just talking about burnout and wellness, because burnout, I mean, we were isolated for a long time. And then we went into an environment re re-entered into an environment where we're seeing virtual patients, we're seeing pa patients in in person as well, but we we kind of lost that interpersonal relationship. So even just for wellness, not feeling isolated, going to a conference and realizing, oh, okay, maybe I've had a very small vision of what my, my organizations I've been a part of, or maybe even I'll say pharmacy or, or physician assistants, like my, our field our terminal degree is really exploding when I feel like it's stagnant. So it's a good way to just give a little bit of a rebirth. Maybe you need some sort of an adrenaline injection into you to reignite those passions again, uh, just for even wellness sake. Question with that. Have you ever gone to a conference, a professional conference, and not come away from it supercharged up? No, I, I think I've. there's always something actual yeah. to take away always that's my feeling is any anytime i've gone to a professional meeting yeah i always come away feeling super inspired you have the subject matter experts who are already excited about it and they aren't there because they just have something to say organizations won't pay for folks to come and talk unless there is something operational or 
monetary or um, maybe patient outcomes that will that is going to increase. They need to have a benefit for the environment, right? So unless you're going and doing that one CE that's about identifying sex trafficking in a community setting where you're just like, this is easy because I can sleep through it, like you're going to learn something. Yeah. So last one that I want to talk about or get your thoughts on is another area of peer-to-peer networking. And this one is probably the most established or most traditional is professional associations. Mm -hmm. You and I are both big components of being members of your respective professional association, but talk me through a little bit of how that can be valuable from a peer-to-peer networking standpoint. And then I'll give you my thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, The inside baseball on it. Okay. So everybody has regional, usually regional associations, uh, chapters in your local area. You know, statewide, maybe even have countywide. The benefits of being a part of these professional organizations that are so regional is you are going to have many more opportunities once you even just introduce yourself alone to partners you've never met before, maybe colleagues across the city, you've seen their name a few times, and ideas will just come forward if that's where your mind's at. If you're getting in the entrepreneurial mindset, uh, you're going to want to collaborate. But there's not, not only is it beneficial for your practice or your, your patients, there's a lot of benefits about being a part of an association anyways. I'm talking like insurance benefits for malpractice, uh, to my wellness services, decreases in certain services you can even offer your patients, reduce costs for CEs. There's a lot of tangible benefits in addition to the intangible, intangible we're kind of talking about, because a lot of what stuff we're talking about is more long-term and trying to chart out what your future map is going to be. So, but the thing is, I want to hear what, when you talk about inside baseball, I want to hear what you have to say about this because regionally, we are part of these associations. You realize how many people aren't actually a part of these regional Mm -hmm. associations. Mm -hmm. So because of that, you have more visibility if you're even going to be a little bit just offer a little bit of action for that organization, it's going to shine a lot brighter than you think. I agree. So these professional organizations serve so many purposes and it's so sad because like you said, I think on average in healthcare, professional organization membership is about 10% or less. So nine out of 10 people do not join their professional organization. And I'm on the board of the New York PA Association, so I'm intimately involved, hence the inside baseball. And just for an example, today there is a webinar that is being done, hosted by the New York PA Association on burnout and different ways that you can promote wellness Mm. in your practice. And that's a free webinar for members. Mm -hmm. Next month, we're doing a webinar for graduating PA students on how to manage student loans because the average PA student comes out with something like $120,000 or $130,000 in loans. Those are all incredible opportunities for educational content, educational support, career development. That's all coming from, in my opinion, a relatively low membership fee. Mm -hmm. Moving beyond that, your professional association also offers that peer-to-peer networking and peer-to-peer mentorship by being a subject matter expert in your area of clinical practice. So the example I have for that, my aha moment where I became, you know, totally bought in on the value of professional associations. A couple of years into clinical practice, so this was eight or nine years ago, where I was working, which is you know where I still am, but they 
announced that PAs were no longer going to be able to see Medicaid patients. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being a, a somewhat complex issue, but it wasn't a new issue. So in New York, PAs bill Medicaid under a rendering provider NPI, but that's you know more than we need to say. Needless to say, PAs absolutely can see Medicaid patients. They've always been able to, or at least historically for a while now. And that didn't change. What changed is someone new came into the billing department that was interpreting the regulations incorrectly. At the time, I was not a member of the New York PA Association or the national organization. And I was freaking out because mm -hmm. if you can't see Medicaid, then why would an employer retain you? You know, that's a huge chunk of the patient population. So I called and they said, oh, if you're a member, we can have you consult with our attorney or with our billing and reimbursement specialist. So I better believe I quickly became a member. Within a day or two, I had a one hour meeting with the national specialist for the American Academy of PAs for on billing and reimbursement. He spent an hour on the phone with me going over all the regs, pointing out the exact statutes, mm -hmm. sent me an email with all of the relevant information that I was able to then pass on to my clinic. And it was a great learning opportunity for me about the value of mentorship and peer-to-peer but also it was a great opportunity for me to then educate my employer on the value of PAs, how we can maximize PAs in terms of billing and reimbursement and make sure that we're properly deploying and utilizing them not only clinically, but also logistically. So it was a huge win for everyone involved. And that was my wake up moment. That was when I realized that the you know $150 a year that I spend on membership to a professional association, it's like car insurance. I don't ever plan on using it, but if something goes wrong, you better be sure I'm going to be very happy to have that there. I've, I've got a few things I want to talk about then following that. With the, we just had Tom uh, Carabella on recently talking about MSLs and recruiting them. There is a society called the MSL Society. Um, you can go to, I believe it's msls.org. Uh, might be .com. I have to check that out. But uh, when you, if somebody here listening wants to even look into uh, pharma, right? Uh, or eat maybe sales, but MSL is really what I want to focus on. The MSLS organization, you can join as an aspiring MSL. And it's right around the same fees because you're still a professional at this point. Uh, but there's a mentorship program. And it's really education that you get about the MSL positions. But starts a network for you as well. You don't know how to break in. You don't know who to even contact. Maybe you, you don't have any friends or colleagues in pharma at all. You don't have an access to the industry. Being a part of an organization like that is the perfect entrance because again, if we're talking 10% or so of the professionals are in the organization, those are going to be the ones who are most excited about pushing the organizations forward. So you're probably more likely to get a mentor who's really active and knows how to mentor because mentoring, if you don't have it set up correctly, it, it can be a huge waste of time. And I've dealt with that before. I've even mentored before without being prepared and it was a waste of time for me and for the person I was mentoring. So you have to have it structured. The last thing I want to say before we move on to our next point, because there's a lot to say today is I just had a conversation with one of my clients and I talked to my clients about all their needs. Yes, I talk mostly about pharmacy needs or industry needs, but I always wrap up my conversation saying, what else is going on in the office that I might be able to help with? And they said, oh, 
we actually just lost one of our best nurses and we're looking for a nurse with this, this, and this. I said, okay, I think I have somebody in mind. A nurse had recently talked to me after listening to one of our episodes and said, uh, yeah, I'm actually looking for something. I've been in hospital, ICUs, and I can't break into this area that I really want to break into because they don't want ICU nurses, which I think is incredibly foolish, honestly. But it was a perfect match. I said, oh, I know that this person is looking for it and your company wants that exact type of person. Immediately, it took maybe two hours to connect them and it's already going through. So you don't know what can happen by just having those conversations with people. It's a nurse. Remember this though. I'm a pharmacist. But that's not usually cross collaboration. That's why it's important to do this. Right. Naturally, you know, if you're a nurse or if you're a pharmacist, you wouldn't necessarily think about building out peer to peer networking no. yeah. cross, cross professionally. Mm -hmm. And yet there certainly can be value. But I, I digress because I could say a lot more about this subject. Well, let's keep going on it, but let's shift our focus a little bit and talk about how we can build and maintain a peer-to-peer -peer network. Because I think we've given some examples of some great resources that are out there, but at the same time, I think what's out there right now is still a little bit disorganized or disparate because you know we talked about social media has some value, but also some limitations. Mm -hmm. Similarly, with conferences, you know, it'd be great if we could all go to a conference every week, yeah. but at the same time, that's usually a once-a-year type of thing. So how can we build? How do we keep up these that? relationships? Yes, exactly. Well, how do you, I, I, you and I probably do it a little differently. How do you maintain those relationships? I, I have a pretty specific way of how I do it, but I want to hear what you have to say. So I think the big thing on my end that I would think about is set goals. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it before. If you are not intentional, whether that be in terms of career development professionally, or even in your personal life as you're trying to maintain work-life balance, maintain family prioritization, intentionality matters. So set goals. If you are looking to have peer-to-peer -peer networking, make sure that you're you know, keeping in contact with your peers, with your networks. Be proactive. I think so often inaction is one of our greatest enemies because going home and sitting on the couch and just watching Netflix is such a temptation. So make sure that if the for example, here, if the local district of the New York PA Association is having a meeting, get out there so that you can see people, you can be a resource to them, they can be a resource to you. And that comes with some level of, you know, to putting yourself out there and not waiting for these things to come to you. And then following up with contacts. I'm not an extrovert. We've talked about it so many times. You continue to drag me into some level of extroversion through this platform. But at a recent meeting, I took a picture of the attendance list because mm -hmm. we had it out. And my goal, I still haven't done it yet because I'm procrastinating, is to then go on LinkedIn and just send little thank you notes to everybody that I met sure. there. Yeah. Just, hey, great to connect with you last weekend. Looking forward to more opportunity to collaborate and discuss things further. And just send that little message. And you know what? Jeremy, he came on and did our public speaking episode, which was awesome. And I was talking to him recently and he amazes me. So shout out to Jeremy because he does this. And this is so valuable. Every time he interacts with you like that in a professional setting, without fail, he'll send you a little follow-up message. And it's so personal and it's such a an awesome point of connection. And it doesn't take that much time. It doesn't take that much commitment and yet really has a lot of high value. So that's something, at least on my end personally, that I'm trying to be more intentional and implement in my plan. Okay, so let's make... Let's show them a uh, actionable, not actionable, a real life situation here, okay? So I am, 
extrovert for sure. No. If I meet you, I I can make you feel like we've known each other forever. And I'm not trying. Like it's not, I'm not being um, sneaky about it. It's just I really am invested in people. And I love hearing stories. I love seeing what people are doing. So when I talk to you, I'm very genuine. I promise. Uh, I'm not bull, bull crapping you. Good catch. If, yeah. If I am, I catch myself and I back down real quick because I, I, I want to be real. So this is where it shows <laughs> where the rubber meets the road. Michael, I'm on your uh, LinkedIn right now. Do you know how many um, followers you have right now? I have no idea. Okay. So you are professed to not have an extrovert bone. Correct. You have 4,184 followers, 4,184, okay? I have not been as proactive as you and I want to be more proactive. I've got 2,049. You have double mine now because of how proactive you're being. That's a great point, right? Because it doesn't come natural to me. You're working it's, towards it. And for me, yeah, I'm intentional about it. Yeah. I, I just kind of like went lax on it because it's like, oh, it's just who I am. But in order to engage people and to be engaged uh, with some other people are going to reach out to you as well. You have to promote yourself as someone who can be collaborated with or work with. You can show that online, even just LinkedIn, like responding to people's posts on there. You think that it's like Facebook, but it really isn't. When mm-hmm. I when I post something and I see a clinician taking their time out of the day to answer something or even just to put a little, hey, thanks for this. I really appreciated what you wrote. It's like, okay, that does mean a lot. Even there's only four comments. Like It's like, I know that this person isn't trolling. Like They really mean what they're saying. What I do want to mention how I manage these relationships because it, it is a little bit different. So because I like to meet so many people, one of my childhood friends professes that I have one of the worst memories in the world. However, I have reserved that memory space for pharmacy school. So if I don't remember you from when I was 12, it's because I I expelled you from my brain to put like trazodone side effects in there. Okay. I have to actually maintain a CRM type platform for myself. Uh, It's not because you're not memorable. It's not because I don't like you. It's so that I can structure it to know like who I'm actually been reaching out to. You said, what was the thing again about inaction? Can you repeat that? Oh, I I didn't copyright it, but inaction is the, oh man, what was it? Inaction is the- Pretty much whatever it was is- Inaction is a problem. It's a big problem because if it's not at the front of your mind, we all have our daily lives going on. We have medical issues with family, other interpersonal problems outside of work. So in order to keep your priorities at the top, you should be writing them down. I mean, what we'll do at some point, Mike, is we'll talk about goal-oriented career progression and vision statements and mission statements, all of that. I think it's important. For me, though, I have to do that with my relationships as well. Because uh, if it's not in front of me, it, I tend to forget. Again, not because I don't like you. It's just how my brain works, unfortunately. <laughs> I've, I've learned that. you know, A lack of a response from John does not mean Mm-mm. disinterest. Right? No. Or multiple prompts are necessary. Yeah, it's even with business partners. And it's. I feel like I have to 
save myself here for anybody who wants to work with me in the future is I'll I promise I'll make it worth worth it for you. <laughs> I'll make it worth it for you. If I don't answer two texts, believe me, it's coming back. I promise. So maybe let's take a couple minutes and, and kind of summarize what we've talked about because I think we've hit on a lot and it's all very valuable. But let's talk about social media. So we talked earlier about social mm -hmm. media. Great opportunity for networking. Great opportunity to find like-minded people that are within your career. Mm -hmm. Limitations, maybe anonymity. Facebook is uh, sometimes great, sometimes bad. Mm -hmm. Reddit is a cesspool that can be really valuable, but also quite toxic. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to be gained from social media, but also maybe some significant and severe glaring limitations. So take that for what it's worth. Look at it as a, a tool that we can use, but also make sure that you're not getting out over your skis as a clinician. If you're going on to Facebook groups and asking what the first line drug is to manage blood pressure, Mm -hmm. that may not be a good look for you professionally. What's so a you, better you do question? have to be careful. I think, you know what? I think social media is actually a great place to talk about career development stuff. Yeah. I think I'm always very, very hesitant when I see people asking clinical questions because- Why not ask about resources instead of- In my mind, questions. I just see a malpractice lawsuit yes. pulling social media posts and then saying, is this how you made the decision how to manage mm -hmm. this patient? where career development stuff I think is a little bit more generic. It's a little bit more big picture. So I do think right now, as it currently stands, the career development stuff is a much better avenue for social media where clinical is not. So moving on from that, yeah. conferences, I think this is a great opportunity for that cross-pollination where you're not only talking about maybe different things clinically, you're bouncing ideas off of peers or key opinion leaders, thought leaders in your field but then also opportunities to maybe seek out new opportunities career-wise. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've made introductions with people at conferences that then led to side hustles or consulting work. So yeah. it's a great opportunity to seek out those opportunities. Can I, can I want to add to that really quick? Yeah, though, please do. Is that not only are you looking for other people that maybe you want to emulate, but you might realize in a conversation or in a talk that you're attending that you have more experience or knowledge about an area than you really thought when it globally. So maybe you thought you were in the low 5% of people who knew about this. And then you hear this talk and you realize, oh crap, I'm actually in the top 5% probably because I know all this stuff already. I'm implementing this. Offers you way more opportunities for collaboration and research potentials and mentorship even. Absolutely. So I think the last one then that we talked about is professional associations. Mm -hmm. And this is a wonderful opportunity for advocacy, for peer-to-peer -peer networking, but also for mentorship and the ability to have expertise within your profession available to you in times of crisis, but even as a resource in times where just for regular clinical practice. So I think all three of these are really good. It's not today, not a question of which one should we do, but rather do all three, be proactive, have a plan. Moving beyond that, I think there's some really exciting stuff happening in the pipeline as technology continues to progress. The opportunities to have platforms available to offer peer networking that maybe is outside of your employer, outside of your social network, outside of your Facebook group where Aunt Sally may be seeing what you're posting. I think there's really incredible opportunities for someone to fill that void mm -hmm. and offer more career development support in a peer-to-peer -peer networking fashion. So I think there's a lot of stuff that's out there. 
there's a lot of stuff that's coming. Yeah. The good news is when we identify a gap in the marketplace, usually someone will try and fill that role. And I think that is something that there's several companies that are working really hard to do that. And maybe yeah. we'll talk about that more down the road. I, I think that a company that can generalize what they're doing and not make it so specific makes it less improbable that they're not going to get a lot of people. Like once you generalize and say like, hey, you don't know what you want to do in your career or maybe you feel like you're stuck in a rut or maybe you're burned out. Maybe you're X, Y, and Z as we all recognize that many clinicians are. Join our group. We're going to help you through this thing, right? We're going to give you education, information, platforms to meet other colleagues. Uh, there's a few out there doing stuff like this already that you can engage in that maybe you're just not aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And what we can do since we're reaching the end of our time today, I think down the road, we maybe do a specific episode where we can actually dive into those peer-to-peer -peer networking platforms. Yeah. And that'll offer us opportunity to maybe do a little bit of a deeper dive on that, do some research on the pluses and minus of all those. Uh, but there's really some exciting stuff out there. I just was on yeah. a meeting for the New York PA Association with an organization uh, that got grant money from New York State to try and build out peer-to-peer -peer networking. Mm -hmm. So it's something that as burnout continues to be an issue, more and more people are identifying as a solution. So people want to be, what is it? People want to feel heard. They want to feel like they're part of something. I forget. You be something three. bigger than yourself. You have Yeah, to, right. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times it's not necessarily that we have to change jobs, but rather just maybe find more avenues of support if we're in a job that can be very stressful or difficult. So uh, I want to mention two things and then we can really wrap it up. A uh, first thing is let's, I just do not want to forget about where we came from. Uh, everybody graduated from a school uh, that is accredited. Those professional relationships or professors, deans, directors, whoever's at the school is now a peer of yours. They want to be able to reach the outside world just as much as you want more relationships as well. We need to become more relevant. Our school systems definitely need to become more relevant. And we are all recognizing this, like things are changing. So you have a free opportunity to network, um, to get a mentor from your alma mater and to mentor, uh, students at your alma mater. There, it's just a great way to just triage yourself and say, what am I missing here? Let's just get some free ideas from a couple of the directors or chairs. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great spot to end it. So right. why don't we shift into some personal stuff and uh, yeah, you know finish on a high note? Okay. You want to go first? Well, I think this is great. One of the, uh, one of my many bosses in my life, because I <laughs> Not only did I have met home or multiple bosses with my professional, like the businesses we have, but I got this from them. It was great. It says, I put the pro in propofol. I love it. It's got the chemical structure and a benzene ring and no, Fantastic. Benzene ring. Anyways, and slinging pills that pay the bills. It's just, I, I don't know. It was a great gift. So I'm drinking some coffee now and I usually don't. So ah, it's just a good day. But outside of that, that's not really what I, what I want to talk about. We talked about going outside. Now, we, you and I talk about going outside all the time. But when when I heard the birds this morning, Mike, I think I could be suffering from SAD because immediately I was like, wow, 
I don't know if I'm Snow White or the the tide just turned, but this is beautiful. I'm ready to go outside, hike, uh, get maybe do some trail running because it's something I really want to get going again. And maybe take my shirt off and bench outside in the backyard. Oh boy. Um, yeah, like like a good old I'm close enough to what we consider um, the hillbilly area. I love <laughs> living over there because I've got some, I got some horses up the hill I can yep. see and some farmland. Why not just add a bench set in the middle of the yard? I'll, you know, maybe hang, I could hang a uh, an engine block for my tree too as well, but just get outside. I went a little far with that. I know. I, it's okay. I, I apologize. We're all we're all just excited up here in the north. We really are. Finally, we not have no snow idea. to get, get be able to be outdoors. Vitamin D. I'll do a I'll do a two part personal all as right. well. Just to I'm going to riff off of you since I like to always copy your inspiration. So I do agree. I'm just so excited for the warmer weather to be coming Thursday and Friday. Or no, I'm sorry, Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Whatever. Earlier this week, we had some days that were in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And on one of them, I took the kids to the playground and it was just lovely, even though it ended up in lots of fighting and tears because, you know, we were trying to play pickup football and, you know, and you, you have do, boys. You so. can't do that with four kids without injuries and you can't eat yelling. lunch without injuries. No, exactly. Yeah. But it was so lovely to be outside. And it's it's amazing what even being outdoors in 50 degree weather with jackets on, but getting fresh air, getting exercise, what it can do for me as an adult in terms of just well-being and mental health, but also for kids, you know, it's so often they're stuck inside. If the weather is crummy, especially when it's rainy and muddy, they end up cooped up and, you know, maybe getting more screen time that we'd like. And that really has an impact on them. They are totally different kids when they're able to yeah. be feral, when they're outside and they're exploring and they're Fancy. being creative. Yeah. Yeah. Any orthopedic people don't listen to us right <laughs> now. Right. So it's lovely to see that change of season. I think there's always at this time of year an excitement and an anticipation of the warmer weather, and I'm certainly feeling it. But part two is I'm going to also riff on what you said about getting a gift. So I'm in my office at work, and I want to show you this. So for people that are not on video, one of my patients that I see just got a 3D printer, and he's having a lot of fun with it. So he made me a skull pen holder for it's my office geometric yeah shape. isn't that cool oh yeah that's really cool so he made that and this is one of my favorite things about working in healthcare is i get to build these longitudinal relationships with patients and i get to be a part of their lives and um very often it's you know it's not a friendship it's still very professional mm-hmm. and there are boundaries but at the same time you know you get to know each other and it's just so cool to learn from patients i have patients that have taught me so much in terms of like their interesting hobbies things like that for example, this patient that I uh, got this from, he makes his own fireworks. That's his hobby. So, yeah. So one of the reasons he's <laughs> I bought a 3D printer, from my understanding, is so that he can create things for his homemade fireworks. And when I say like homemade fireworks, like commercial grade, yeah. massive fireworks. So I'm always a little bit worried every time I see him on my schedule because I'm waiting for him to come in and you know be down a couple fingers. Mm-hmm. But super, super cool because I get to learn so much about the all the chemistry that goes into that and how you procure chemicals, things like that. So here's the other thing he made for me, though. He knows through these conversations that my kids also like fireworks. So with his 3D printer, cool. he built something to launch those little rockets. Like I forget rockets. the name. Yeah, he, there's a specific name for him. I'm going to have to look him up. But so he's encouraging violence from my children, which is, uh, you know, great, mm-hmm. I guess. 
But so he created with his 3D printer a rocket launcher for my kids to fire their fireworks out of. So I don't know whether to thank him or curse him, but it's just such a cool part of medicine that we get to meet all these interesting people and learn from that. I, every day I get to learn something new and I consider that a blessing. You're, you're bringing back memories. We, I went to a bachelor party one time, Mike, where they, uh, again, ER folks don't listen. They decided to have a bottle rocket war. <laughs> Nobody lost an eye, but definitely some small injuries. So that's Still excellent. Don't each other, folks. It's a bad idea. Right. As a healthcare professional, I think we're obligated to say that. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very satisfied with what we talked about today. I think it's great. I, I It does get me encouraged to get a little bit more active in some of the societies I'm not as active in. So I think when we come uh, at this again, we're going to give you some specifics of how you can get into some of these programs, maybe get a little bit more active. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about these peer-to-peer networking groups that you can jump in at, as a specific terminal degree. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, as always, for joining us. We are White Coats of the Round Table. You can find us on all major streaming platforms. So if you're listening on the website, give us a follow on your favorite platform, subscribe, and leave us a review if you like what you hear. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Press Otherwise, the this is Mike and John, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Love you.